guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview. What else would you do today? Hey, it's Sunday here in New Zealand, but it's Saturday where my guest is from. And straight from Toronto, Canada, I am so pleased to have Michelle Anhang with me. And Michelle and I will have the pleasure of teasing apart one of those topics that many people try to hide. And it is the, the mental health, the mental health, the bad mental health issues, and indeed, suicidal ideation and suicide in its own right. I want to say right now, right here, if you right now feel that you self are vulnerable, please stop listening to that. And, and just listen to the next few words in this in the sense that there is help out there. There are helplines out there who are right now waiting for you to call. So if you feel that that these ideas have been getting stronger and, and are there in your own life, please just pick up the phone, call the helpline in your country. Because I'm beaming worldwide, I cannot put all the, the rescue lines, helplines uh, in in the bottom of this, this video. So please just call, call the emergency operator if you do not have any other means and they will patch you through to someone who can help you. So if, if, your, own, if your own mental health is precarious, there's help out there. Please, please, please take it. Cool. So, but coming back to, to Michelle, Michelle, I'm so honored to have you on my show. It is such an important topic, death and mental health, and how we deal with that, with both, with both the mental health aspect and with grieving in our own right. So thank you so much for your time. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me here. It is an important topic, and I'm I'm so glad to be able to share it with you. I know this is uh, an area that you're very passionate about as well. Mm. So true. And why am I passionate? Well, because I have been in dark holes. I have had suicidal ideation. I had a vague plan what to do. So I have been there. I know how dark life can get. And I think the figures speak for themselves. One in three people, that's your lifetime chance of having a nasty depressive episode. So let's not kid ourselves. It is probably more likely that you deal sooner or later with mental health problems compared with that you don't, that your life is a box of birds and it's all beautiful and there are little rainbows everywhere. Well, that might be when you're taking Prozac and, and too much of it. That might be. It's this beautiful thing from, from, the, um, from the Simpsons where the daughter takes Prozac and suddenly there are all these smiley faces and everything's a smiley face. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I'm not, not saying anything against medications. Please don't get me wrong. But it is just, <laughs> hey, <laughs> this is not life. Okay. So life is yeah. harsh. 
Yeah, so, no, and that's that's it. So many people are experiencing this, and not enough of us are talking about it. And we, I think, to a certain degree, that's not necessarily your fault, guys, because yeah. if you live in modern society, then you live in a society where you pick up your meat from the supermarket. You do not kill your own pig or your sheep. You do not see death occurring. Your grandmother and mother probably have been admitted to a hospital and passed away in that setting, not in their bed at home with you on their side. So death has become a thing, nearly a taboo thing uh, in our society. Certainly the Western society, I'm now talking yeah. Germany, Europe, New Zealand, Australia, the United States. There might be other, other uh, societies out there where this is not the case. And that is probably a beautiful thing where, where death is part of life and is often celebrated as such. But for your life and my life, that certainly wasn't no. the case. No, no. no. Uh, Michelle, I mean, you, you are nowadays passionate about mental health and and helping helping people grieve and explore that subject but that was certainly not uh your life mission when you were 15 when you were <laughs> saying hey i want to go to college because i want to be a life coach and deal with grief yeah, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> how did your life start out i mean what what oh. were your visions when you were 12 15 what do you think you would be you know, I don't think I even knew. I was I was a little bit lost back then. <laughs> I I was always kind of interested in psychology and I did get my degree in psychology, but at the time I didn't want to be a therapist. And you know, I, I have to say I think I was one of those people that just life sort of happened to me and I didn't. <laughs> And I just was like, okay, that works, <laughs> you know, and just kind of went along. And then, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it's Beautiful. been an interesting journey. And then life showed me what my purpose needed to be. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. So you were doing psychology. What kind of uh, yeah. uh, subset of psychology? What was your... So I didn't actually practice. Oh, I, sorry. I got my degree in that. Mm. Uh, then I worked in law for... Um, for a number of years, about 10 years. I, I got married quite young. I got married at 22. So I had just graduated with my bachelor's degree and then said, okay, well, you know, we need to be making money. So I went and became a law clerk and did that for a number of years because it paid the bills and I could, you know, take my maternity leave when I had my children. And then I moved into finance and yeah, and then came full circle back into life coaching <laughs> through my but, life experience. But of course, the psychology that would have been very handy in dealing with customers, dealing with clients uh, in oh, the yeah. sense of the law and then the finance. So it is yeah. always quite interesting to, to learn some basics in those categories. Oh, yeah. And so money was was okay. You make made sort of ends meet. You met Mr. Wright. Uh, how did you meet Mr. Wright? So funny enough, um, I met Mr. Wright when I was eight years old. Oh goodness! <laughs> we, <laughs> You're really an early starter. I really. Am. <laughs> I joke. I'm a planner, and like you know, that's really me. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> all, all kidding aside. No, we grew up in the same community. Right. So we knew each other from a very young age. Uh, we started dating at 18 and then got married at 22. Perfect. So, okay. yeah, yeah, kind of that, that, uh, and what was you know, his the background? young sweethearts. Oh, no, I see. Um, what, yeah. What did he do? Uh, he, well, he was started out working with in his father's furniture company. And oh. then um, we actually moved across the country to Vancouver, BC for a period of time. And then he got into security alarms. So okay. he was doing that work, yeah, for a number of years. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. And then kids came along and long hours came along, let me guess, because oh, the yeah. money needs to be there. So you stayed home, looked after the kiddos, and uh, and he worked his little guts out. Is that about the story? Yeah, I, I, I went back to work in between kids, but yeah, oh, right. I was the primary car caregiver, so working around the kids' schedules mm. and right. yeah. Please, please, yeah. please. This is such a hard <laughs> job. Know, this is such a hard job for him yeah. uh, to talk about that and and that in its own right, the, the mental health uh, implications of you being depleted by this, yes. by growing these little munchkins in you <laughs> and then having the sleep deprivation and, and, and yeah. that's a whole different story. That's yeah. a whole different <laughs> chapter. In, episode. <laughs> exactly. That's a different chapter in my book. So, but right. that chapter needs to be kept mm -hmm. into, into, yeah. in mind because that's all what you guys go through and yeah. you women. Wow. How the hell do you do it? Um, <laughs> so you just have to admit that. Yes, but yeah, but meanwhile, we are going out there as the boys, um, or if this is a, not a traditional marriage or partnership, then it might be similar situations. One of one of the, the, the partners typically uh, goes nuts in the workplace and the other right. one goes nuts at home and a mixture thereabouts. Um, but it's it's a busy life for all yeah. of us. And yeah. that that time frame and you don't. I certainly underestimated it all the time. You are still young you've got all the energy you can do it you can burn the candle all ends in the middle doesn't matter and two hours sleep so what back to work yeah the good old days yeah something like that but of course it all comes at a price and yeah. no one no one tells you that yeah um that price certainly for me was burned out was uh depression was anxiety attacks, yeah. was alcoholism, basically. I drank like a fish sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. How, which kind of coping mechanisms did you develop when times get mm. rough? Oh, I didn't have very healthy ones. My, my, default, <laughs> my default was um, autopilot. <laughs> Just shut everything off, don't feel... Just, you know, one foot in front of the other, take it day by day, you know, then, then, you know, there's also the, um, the attempt to control every little piece of your life, you know, <laughs> you know, that as long as I control every step, it'll be okay. But of course, life tells us, yeah, that's just not going to work. <laughs> that's interesting that you describe yourself as happy-go-lucky and falling into the right things. Yet <laughs> there was this element of control there and this element of trying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just shows yin and yang is at play yeah. in all of us. 
I think I think um, I wanted to be happy go lucky. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You know, and so it's like fake it till you make it. I don't know. (laughs) Beautiful insight. (laughs) Okay, so autopilot, and that's that's again, that's that's what we all did. Uh, I did exactly the same thing. On the contrary, I actually worked harder, and it was beautiful because I didn't have to cope with the other problems. I didn't have to cope with my emotions if I just yeah. worked hard enough. And then those few hours in between, between when I didn't work, then I numbed myself with the alcohol, uh, or yeah. you know, other people do all kind of other addictions. So, and that's yeah. just that's you know one of the pitfalls that many, 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 many of us do fall yeah. into. Yeah. What was uh, what was your partner doing? He was working the security alarms. So typically, yeah. long hours installing installing when the customer is home means after hours after in yeah. the work. Yeah, um, he did corporate work as well. So right. that was all like he did work in banks at, at one right. period of time. So then it was like you can't stop when the day is done. You stop when the bank is secure. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. very long hours. Uh, yeah, yeah. How did he cope? Not very well either. <laughs> and, you know, he had a whole other set of, um, he had his own set of vices and he also had um, mental illness that, that um, he was not coping with either. So that definitely, you know, took its toll on him. Did you notice that? Did, um, were you too close? I th- I think we, we were too close and just didn't know any better. Um, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I think, you know, when the decline happened, um, he was already pretty far along into it because he, he actually um, ended up being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and a form of schizophrenia. Oh, but yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, by the time we received the diagnosis and they tried the different medications, um, they weren't taking. It was it was a very you know it was really a downhill battle for him. May I ask, did were there also drugs involved? Because of yeah. psychosis can yeah. be can be worsened by various yes. drugs. Yeah, yeah. So no, he, yeah, definitely. And, and that, those are, you know, some things I knew a little bit when, you know, the, the later things before he passed and then mm. learned other things after, after he passed away. But Good yeah, and he, he had smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. And, you know, I, I remember saying to him like, you know, you have to stop, you're going to die of cancer and you know, <laughs> the irony there, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, having the drinks, but, you know, drinking is socially acceptable. Mm. So that was another thing that, it, you know, I wasn't seeing it every day in the house, but when, you know, he was out with his buddies, when we were out socializing, you know, and again, it was only later on once I started waking up to it that I realized like, oh, he's drinking a little bit more than everybody else is. So yeah, like the, the things that we are just normalized to, you know, that you don't even hmm. realize until, you know, the light goes on. And then afterwards, you know, hindsight, as they say, is twenty twenty, And then hmm. it's like, oh yeah, here we go. Here's, hmm. here's the progression of it. Uh, so true. So true. I certainly had that realization when my wife was very happy after our second child, 
and uh, that the postnatal depression was certainly there. And it was the most intriguing thing because I couldn't see it. Yet, uh, as I had studied pain medicine there, it was, it was I mean, I, I lived and breathed psychology and psychiatry at that time, yet I was so close to it, I just couldn't see it. And then to see it is one thing, to then do something about it is a very, very, very different thing. Yeah. So uh, that is so common, this kind of, of story, because we are also busy. You were in autopilot. You were yeah. in, in get the jobs done, another job, clean the house, yeah. do the boys, yeah. do, and so on and so on. Yeah. It's so easy to get lost in your own life and you just simply don't see what is going on. When you think back, what were the, the inklings? What were the thoughts that that were warning signs? I guess what I'm I guess what I'm asking mm. is if you were now talking to people out there who are still in the rat race, who are still living that uh, those 16, 18 hour days, what would be the things that you thought, oh, if I only had looked out for? Mm. You know, it's a good question because I know mental illness shows up differently in different people. So it's a very hard question to answer. Um, even the even the little things that I knew, I didn't know enough to put it together. I remember, you know, at one point he had shared with me that um, he remembered walking around uh, the playground when he was six years old and thinking life was hard. And I didn't think at the time, oh, you were depressed. You know, in the 70s, nobody was you know, using that, like, nobody was mm. depressed back in the 70s. Mm. Yeah. You know? And yeah. um, so, so it's hard. I think, you know, I think it started, I, I started noticing more erratic behavior that was just out of character. He, he was becoming less and less like the person I knew. Mm. I, I think that's the best way I can describe mm. it like personality shifts, like, and very small ones that, that really, I don't know if, if even our friends would have picked it up. Hmm. Um, but yeah, now looking back, it's like, oh, right. I remember that. That was not an isolated incident. That was a sign of something bigger. But again, like such little things that on its own might not signify anything. It could just be somebody having a bad day or, hmm. you know, hmm. or somebody being, very elated and you know and that's that's the thing that you know particularly with bipolar um you know it's it's hard to tell if somebody's like on top of the world and they're like yeah i'm gonna start this this business and i'm gonna take some risks like how are you to know like you know we all just like we're like go for it woohoo you know cheering them on uh -huh. you know it, we don't know so i that's think it. Yeah, it's it's a really difficult, <laughs> difficult so thing to pinpoint. For you guys out there who are listening in here or watching and you think bipolar, what the hell is that? Bipolar means two poles, two extremes. And that is that a, a person is cycling from depression to a state where they are virtually high on 
their own life and they go there it's beautiful life is gorgeous it's wonderful let's buy a porsche no let's buy two. Oh shit i've just crashed into the car doesn't matter i keep going it's brilliant it's brilliant it's brilliant you think what the heck and that's bipolar that's that's the manic face and that's a depressed face and bipolar is sort of cycling through it and there are rapid cyclers people who go through that very rapidly in a year maybe they have six seven cycles like that and there are other people they are much slower in their life so just the, the yeah. medical side of things what is actually mm-hmm. happening there um and schizophrenia you were mentioning that schizophrenia manifests itself as a as a disease or as a, as a symptom complex where people really lose touch with the reality and they might hear voices, they might see things, they, they live in their own world, and that world can at times be incredibly scary and like a horror trip for the lack of a better word. And with all of these things, there are some, some patients or some people, shall I say, you know, there's so much of that happening out there. We shouldn't really necessarily always call it patients. It's just the people around us. Uh, some of us have the genetic predisposition, which means that mommy and daddy or grandma and grandpa, unfortunately, are affected by that as well. And there are some families where there's quite a strong lineage coming down. And there are other cases where the family is absolutely fine and suddenly, bang, out of the blue comes mental illness. So therefore, it, yeah. is, it is not an issue that you can predict. It is not something that automatically comes true only because it has been in your family, but it's certainly something for us at any one time. Uh, that can be as a teenager. That can be when you're 50. It just, it just comes. And I think it, the good thing is to to act and to realize that and accept these are your chances and then learn from people like Michelle and me. Well, okay, so if these are my chances, what are we doing about it? Um, so, <laughs> but that is yeah. that is the general the general take yeah. that I have got and Michelle has, has on on mental health. But today we want to focus a bit more on really on what happens when things don't go well do you want to share a bit how that all came about with you we had yeah uh, your husband your husband was not doing well with hindsight there were small flickers of something not right but what happened then yeah so i think well i i'm pretty sure he knew he wasn't well for a while and he also did a really good job of hiding it (laughs) And so that was another piece too. And like how, how many of us, you know, I know I've had my own mental health challenges, both depression and anxiety. And yeah, like you don't want anybody to know necessarily. And again, going back to the stigma. So um, it got to a point where it was pretty difficult to ignore the symptoms. And um, so we, you know, got my husband, um, into to see a doctor he was um, assessed the diagnosis came out then he shared more that yes this is what's been going on for me and I think um, 
you know, it's again, it's so hard to say um, because he was put on on medication. And as I'm sure, you know, like it's it's usually not one medication that is going to do it. They need a cocktail and then they need the right cocktail of the different things. So so he you know, he, he felt like a bit of a guinea pig um, and he was it was a lot, a lot of trial and error and, and a lot of frustration um, and so it's hard to say if, you know, the diagnosis gave him the permission to just be with what was, or it was, you know, the wrong medications having an impact, but then he really, you know, it, it became quite extreme. Um, he had to stop working and go on disability leave because there were days where he couldn't get out of bed or days where he wouldn't come home. Um, and you know, that was of course, depending on which side of, of, you know, the spectrum he was on there. And, um, he, he essentially gave up hope. He, he really, um, by the end, you know, it was about two and a half years after the diagnosis, um, when he died by suicide, um, at that point he was taking 17 pills a day. You know, it was the antipsychotics, the uh, different medications, you know, one to help him sleep, one then to help him wake up, one for the weight gain, one for the, you know, the other, you know, so many side effects. And, and he wasn't feeling that he was getting any better. And he wasn't, it was, it was very, very challenging. And um, so, yeah, sadly, he, he took his life and, um and I know like he he actually phoned me just before um before he passed and you know said I love you but my brain is bad I'm not getting better and he felt this was I mean he wanted to stop the pain he just said you know I need to go away and I, I think he thought this was the best thing he could do for the family because he saw what you know we had two little boys they were seven and four um, I was 34 at the time. I was working two jobs. You know, it, it, like I was on autopilot before, but now, you know, that he wasn't making any income. I was working two jobs, taking care of the kids and taking care of him. So, um, you know, I, yeah, it's, that's, yeah. <laughs> and now, please, it is, it is, I guess, even on the surface, it is understandable, that yeah. kind of thinking. Yeah. That is, I can see where he came from and yeah. where, ah, oh, but it is, it is so, so brutal. Now, again, with, with the doctor's hat on, what you were describing is such a sad continuation of, of unsuccessful trials and you have to say that, unfortunately, when it comes to treating mental health, sometimes it can be very forward and sometimes it can be so, so, so difficult. And we cannot predict it as doctors. We can give educated yeah. guesses, which drugs yeah. probably might suit you and which side effect profile of each drug might be acceptable to you. Um, Yes, so we can make an educated guess, and that's what psychiatrists yeah. do really well. But there are some cases, unfortunately, where your first guess is not working or has side effects that are unacceptable to you. And then you try another combination, and that has a new side effect that just doesn't work, yeah. or it doesn't work, or it makes you worse. So it is 
there's no guarantee out there. Yeah. There is not a simple, hey, brilliant, you've got an infection. I give you that antibiotic, you get better. Right. It doesn't In work like days, that. It'll be fine. That's right. Yeah. Mental health doesn't work like that. Right. And, that and, is- and as well, you know, if I know with him, um, you know, he tried to quit alcohol and, and the other stuff, and, but that was the go-to. Mm. So he was still doing it. So once you start mixing that stuff mm. with, with the prescription medication, yep. it was rewiring stuff, you know, it was rewiring his brain. And so, yeah, like he was in such tremendous pain um, that, you know, I... Yeah, I mean, I, I can only feel compassion for him now. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. If someone hasn't been in a dark place, we would never be able to understand the suffering yeah. of someone yeah. who is there. It yeah. is it is hard. It was, I sometimes felt like walking through a very dark corridor or driving through a dark, dark, dark street. And suddenly somewhere, a little door is just a little bit opening and you see, see a bit of glimmer of life there and you think, wow. And then the door closes again and yeah. that's it. So yeah. it's that darkness that is so, so overpowering, overwhelming and scary. Yeah. So I, I can see where he is coming from and where probably you ended up. Yeah, I, I did. I, you know, a a few months after he passed, um, I, I went through my own bout of depression where, um, for, for a good month, I, you know, would get up every day, get my kids ready for school, drop, drop them off in my pajamas, come home, climb into bed until a quarter to four and then go pick them up, uh, you know, take out a lot of pizza and, um, you know, then we all went to bed early. And I remember at one point just staring up at my ceiling and like, you know, speaking to him and saying, like, if this is a fraction of what you were feeling, I understand. And that's when I was able to to feel for him, because at the time, um, I, I couldn't have that compassion because I was suffering so much, too. And, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm working two jobs. I've got the kids. I'm exhausted. You know please get out of bed. Even, you know, I, I didn't have that understanding of he actually can't. Now I do. But at the time, you know, it was just like, how could you just lie there? And I am, you know, <laughs> I'm falling oh. apart. <laughs> Were you angry? Oh, completely. Absolutely. I'd be lying if I didn't say I, mm. I wasn't angry. Mm. Sure. And that's so hard. So that was whilst he was alive and lying there and, yeah. and suffering yeah. How did that change? Did it change at all? Or was anger an initial main response of your grief? Um, it was definitely a piece of the grief as well. Um, in in the first few days, it was, how could you do this to me? Now you've left me with a financial mess because we were in a financial mess. I now have to raise our kids by myself mm. and figure all this out. And a hundred percent, you know, there, I didn't, I could, I didn't have space to feel, feel for him. I really didn't. Exactly. 
and it, no doubt your your body goes into survival your mind yeah. goes into sheer survival what yeah. the hell do you do right now your yeah. life has completely upended it's completely whatever you knew as normal however painful that normal was is no longer there right it changed irreversibly yeah wow what did your family or his family were you guys close to your yes. your family yeah. and, and their family did you all yeah, live in the family. same town um yes yes oh nice did yeah how did that go so you know the the stigma was there in our overall community so as i mentioned we didn't talk about um, his mental illness while he was alive. The immediate family knew and very few close friends knew. Um, but then when he passed, it, you know, it was like, okay, how do we, how do we navigate this? Because nobody even knew he was sick. And um, so, you know, as the family was gathering, somebody said to me, what are we going to tell people? And it was like, oh, you know, and then, of course, I start going to all the ways that I might have screwed this up and it might be my fault. Did I do enough? Did I, you know, and of course, there's the guilt over the anger. Of course. There's the, you know, what did I miss? What didn't I do? What did I do? How do I tell the kids? I don't understand this. And so when they said, why don't we say it was an accident? I was very quick to agree. And so for over 10 years, we went with the story that he died in an accident. I didn't even tell my kids. They were seven and four. And I was like, I can't wrap my head around this. I don't know how I'm going to tell this to two preschoolers, hmm. you know, who don't even understand death. You know, I, I say that like my younger son, the four-year-old, when I told him that, you know, my husband was gone, his first reaction was, does that mean daddy's a mummy like on Scooby-Doo? <laughs> that's that's all he could connect it to that's what dead people look like you know they're wrapped in toilet paper <laughs> you know, oh, so, how beautifully innocent <laughs> right <laughs> it's like you can't get into a conversation about mental illness and suicide and, you know, with somebody who's thinking their dad's wrapped in toilet paper walking around somewhere <laughs> Right. Uh, if life could be so easy, just right. <laughs> just bring on the toilet paper. <laughs> oh dear. Colin Scooby. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Shaggy. That's right. And I need some They've Scooby snacks. That's right. And Scooby <laughs> snacks. Don't forget the Scooby Makes snacks. Makes everything better. Exactly. Right. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah. So I mean, that worked. That worked for a little while. Um, and oh, a long while. A long while. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, over ten years. Over 10 years, I was in that space. I mean, it, it didn't work. It never worked. Mm. Um, you know, as much as I was in survival mode and autopilot before, now I was even more so because I had to shut a part of myself down. Mm. Uh, you know, I, you know, I couldn't be the honest person that I knew myself to be, or, or at least I, I'm judging myself on that. I'm mm. feeling the shame. I'm feeling the shame of the illness of the suicide. Um, and, you know, now this huge lie, I'm isolating myself, not letting anyone close mm. to me because I don't want to have to share that part of myself. I didn't talk about him. I wasn't able to grieve a suicide. Grieving a suicide is very different from grieving an accident. Mm. Mm. And so I, 
just took it all and shoved it really deep down into the corners of oh, my soul. <laughs> you bloody poor sausage. Honestly, oh, it's bad enough, as you said, grieving, grieving about a loved, loved one uh, compared with grieving and dealing with all those feelings that you mentioned, the survivor yeah. guilt to a certain degree, yeah. to it's probably the wrong term in this setting. I would say the sheer guilt and the questions that you raise to yourself. Why did you not know about that? Why did you not pick that up earlier? Why, why did you shout at him then? Um, did you trigger him? Did you do right. it's it's and your brain yeah. comes up with this myriad of questions oh, yeah. which make oh, yeah. you the culprit, you the guilty. And it is it is brutal. Yeah. Our brain is the perfect torturer uh, because it comes up with these clever oh. ideas, isn't it? Man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you you just basically you just push them down and down there, yeah. it left, move aside there, that's exactly. where you go. Yeah. Well, no way in hell can you do that for 10 years. No way. No. So. No, not, how, not, well, you can, but you can't do it in a healthy way. That's for no. darn sure. So I was about to say, so how yeah. did you do that? Was it cheesecake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheesecake would be the healthiest of all devices. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really um, being in the space of, you know, not feeling like, you know, I mean, it just, it knocked at whatever little self-worth I was starting with to begin with and, and really just taking much less than I deserved, just, you know, going, just going through the motions of life, you know, between my own depression, um, which manifested less as sadness. I mean, I, part of me wishes that I had been able to go into thoughts of despair and hopelessness because that might've helped with the grieving. Instead, I just shut everything off and I stopped feeling, except for the anxiety. I was really good at feeling the anxiety. And there was always that fear <laughs> of who knows who might tell my children who might, you know, might this come out and slip out somehow by somebody who knows what if the wrong person, you know, so it was literally just tiptoeing around life. I hid, I, I hid from life. That was the only way I could cope. What about your close friends? What about the friends that knew you too? And they must have had an inkling that there was something seriously wrong. And uh, they would have seen him changing in nature, in response to medications, in response to the ups and downs. So, were they, were, did no one actually have that insight? No. And, and again, we were, you know, in, you know, our circle, it just, it's not, it wasn't talked about, it wasn't dealt with, um, you know, and we also just kind of isolated ourselves when things were bad. We were, we were great at making up excuses, you know, even when he wasn't working, people didn't know he wasn't working. And when he was working in security alarms, he had a truck from the company. When they gave it back, we just said, oh, he's been moved to a different role, so he doesn't need the truck anymore. So it's amazing the, the stories that you come up with, um, you know, when you're trying to protect something like that. Um, even, but I, even, even to your best friend? Even to your closest yeah, friend? There yeah, were, there were only a few close friends that knew at the time 
Um, but yeah, some of my oldest friends didn't know the truth. Like I, I have friends from high school mm. that, you know, they, they, they did suspect because, you know, since I, I came, you know, went public with what was going on, they said they had a feeling, but nobody, nobody wanted to ask. They were like, okay, you know, like, I guess out of respect for me, for him mm. not wanting to even go there, you know, I think everybody's was very delicately tiptoeing around because they also didn't have the answers of course even i mean yeah who is who is saying oh cool tell me about your depression i'm i'm really and really mean it to actually be there for you yeah uh yeah i none of us had the tools either that even if i had come out with that what were they going to do with that kind of Mm. information They, they wouldn't know how to hold that true so true so true and and yeah so true so there is that issue that many, many, many people who have gone through that then face in addition to the underlying problem. So they open up finally to someone and that, that, then some, that someone brushes them away because they don't know what to do. And they have their own uh, conceptions, their own preconceptions, their own prejudices yeah. their own belief systems that might be miles away from the truth and yeah. it makes it really really hard so it is the the kind of oh come on pull yourself together just get out yeah. of bed come on you can do that take a concrete pill and harden up all that yeah. kind of thing yeah. yeah as if that was to work when you're depressed um right. but yeah there isn't a lot of tolerance for it and and I think you know most of us can say that you know at some point in our lives we knew somebody who was living with a mental health challenge and we didn't actually like check in with them are you okay we were just like okay they're you know they're going through their own thing and yeah I mean usually it's our stuff what we can or cannot deal with Mm. but or we just accept it as okay that's that's just who they are but we never address it we never ask them about it you know, we never say, hey, I'm concerned about you. You haven't, you know, you've canceled the last three times that we've made plans. Are you feeling okay? Yeah. We're just like, oh, what a flake. <laughs> and write them off. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's so true. Well done for pointing that out and highlighting that. And even if you don't have the answers out there, the sheer fact that you picked up the phone and said, hey, look, thinking about you. And I know we haven't seen each other for a while. Um you know, I'm thinking about you. A text, uh, yeah. a simple, a simple thing like that can be a beacon of light in someone's yeah. darkness, where you think, "Wow, okay, yeah. I'm, I am. Maybe there's still hope out there." Yeah. So yeah. if you think, "Wow, I haven't heard from someone. Uh, should I call? Should I not call?" That's all yes, I can say. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's it. I think, you know, we all, you know, and I know from my own experiences of when I was going through my depression of, you know, if somebody had said, you know, you keep canceling or whatever it is, no judgment, just want you to know I'm here for you and I love you. If mm. you ever want to talk, that yeah. would have meant the world to me. Mm. So and true. so, yeah, it, it, that that's it. We just, because we end up, you know, stewing in the shame of I'm a bad friend now too because I keep canceling on my friend so as if the depression's not enough you know it's a, again you know it goes back to what you were saying like our minds take us to amazing places <laughs> isn't it 
and and yeah yeah oh, um wow 10 years 10 yeah. years of living a lie and that yeah. is that is sometimes the hardest thing but i mean luckily children nowadays get taught a little bit depends upon the school depends upon the system where you are was there some mental health education uh for your children and I mean, we are talking four and seven when that ha yeah. occurred. Yeah. And how old are they now? They are now twenty-one and eighteen. There you go. So, yeah. to well, let's let's start with the school. Did they have any training, any talks about mental yes. health? Yeah. So they did. Um, I guess part of their health class, phys ed. Um, there's definitely a mental health component. And um, as well, these days, it seems, you know, I don't even know what the percent I, you know, I know, I think they say there's like 40%. I think that's the, the number in Canada of kids have some kind of mental health challenge, whether it's ADHD, anxiety, yep, depression, yep, bipolar yep. disorder. Yep. Uh, I think it's a lot higher. Um, mm -hmm. But they, you know, what I found with my kids is their generation is very open about it. Good. It's our generation that's not. They they are changing the way because, yeah, I mean, my younger son um, had his own mental health challenges and was diagnosed with depression. Uh, actually, shortly after I told my kids the truth, he, he that's when he put two and two together of, hey, you know, I'm not feeling like myself either. Um, and. Beautiful. Yeah, but he and his friends had been talking about it. They He had actually planned with them that he was going to talk to me about it. But they are very open. He has a, a close friend who has bipolar disorder who tells him like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm in a de depressive state right now. My son knows how to identify when his friend is in the manic state. And it, it's just so much more open. Beautiful. Yeah, we're we're the generation that's not, not quite there yet. Yeah. <laughs> but no, getting because, there. Well, that's true. That's true. No, but I was I was trying to figure out what made the change happen then ten mm. years down the line for you to open up. I mean you you came yeah. at some stage to a point where yeah. you said enough is enough now. And oh, yeah. I'm um trying to figure out how that came about. Yeah. Um so that came about around my 45th birthday and um, realizing I, I had started, I had done the first um, coaches training. Uh, a close friend had just kept saying to me, you need to try this course out. And literally to get her off my back, I was like, fine, I'm going to do this weekend course. <laughs> it was funny because I didn't really know what coaching was at the time. And she was like, no, I'm telling you, you're meant to be a coach. And if nothing else, you're going to learn great skills for your current job. Like just, you know, how to, how to talk to people and negotiations and things like that. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And the last day of, of the course in the closing circle, the instructor, um, you know, in his inspiring words said, don't just tolerate life. And that was it for me that I just fell apart because I realized I was tolerating everything in my life. Like I didn't let myself dream. I didn't let myself be happy. It, you know, I was in a relationship at that point that was not a healthy one, but I was like, well, I should just be grateful this guy wants to be with me. You know, I was in a job that I wasn't happy with, but I was like, well, I should be grateful I'm a single mom, 
I have a job. So it was so much of, I should be grateful. Not that I was grateful, but I'm telling myself you should be. And then I realized like, oh my God, what am, what am I doing to myself? And, and all the pain I was causing myself. And so, yeah, I, I had my 45th birthday and I made this commitment to myself of, you know, I have lived however many years in so much pain. I can't live the next half of my life this way. And I will do whatever it takes to change it. And I didn't know what that looked like. I knew it meant going back to therapy and, yeah, and I love therapy. <laughs> you know, I've been in and out since my, my twenties over different things, but um, this time it was like, okay, things have to change. So um, it, it, it still took a couple of years after that. Um, you know, but I did, I did the therapy. I did I finished the coaching program where there's a lot of personal development work there too. Um, I did um, rolfing, which is fascia release to release the trauma. I did EMDR, and I was I was doing them all simultaneously. <laughs> I, I don't recommend that for everybody, but I was hardcore, and it was great because I, you know, something would co come up in in rolfing, and it was just like, oh, there's that memory I haven't thought about, but oh my gosh, yeah, that was pivotal, and then go to EMDR and work through that, <laughs> and um, so yeah, and then you know started definitely got pretty far into the healing journey, did a leadership program that was quite intense. Um, and, you know, and throughout this really developing this network of people that were very supportive, very loving, very open outside of, of my close, my net of, of people that, you know, we were all kind of living in the same, you know, same way of thinking of just don't go there. And these people are like, let's go everywhere. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I really wanted to, you know, I, I had that desire of like, okay, I need to get it out. And then, yeah, I had, had a conversation with um, the, the instructor, one of my teachers at, in my leadership program. And, and I had shared with, with this group, you know, my, my truth. And my instructor said, you know, you need to tell your kids and I was like, yeah, I'm going to tell them one day. I always thought I'll tell them one day when they're parents and they can understand why I made the choice I did. And he's like, no, 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 <laughs> you, you need to tell them now. And I was like, oh, okay. So yes, with, with the support of that group of people, then I started slowly expanding, um, you know, the circle of people I, I shared the truth with kind of just like gauging what are people's reactions um you know because my biggest fear was if I tell my kids the truth they may never speak to me again and and that was that fear was paralyzing and it was like okay I I have to trust the relationship that I have built with them up until this point and I need to get this out because this it, it was eating alive and um, so, yeah, I, I picked the day. I called them up for, you know, or down for dinner and at the table said, before we eat, I need to share something with you. And just very matter of factly said, you know, I, this is what happened. And, you know, I wish I had done things differently, but it's, it's how it worked out. And I, you know, don't, I want you to know the truth now. And I want you to know all of the truth. And they were so understanding. I was, I, I feel very blessed um, that they are who they are and that our relationship is what it is because they, you know, they both agreed, you know, they, they wish they would have known from the beginning, um, but they understood um, 
they understood our, you know, our family's background and how these things are not talked about and the shame around. And they said, no, we understand why you made that choice. And we made the commitment to each other to, to be honest moving forward. Beautiful. And that is, that is such an empowering thing that you did because you demonstrated in real life the power of honesty and of integrity. And yeah. you showed the strength. You demonstrated the lesson of showing strength. And that is beautiful. That is Thank so you. beautiful. Well done. Wow. Thank you. What did his parents say when you broke that news? Yeah. So, um, so my son, so my younger son, that's actually when, when it came out about his depression. Well, a couple of days later, um, he's, he's asked me to take him to the doctor because he wasn't feeling like himself. And he said, you know, he was meaning to tell me. Um, and then I shared the news about his dad and then it kind of sent him, sent him reeling a bit and, and he needed to process that obviously. And, but then he put, he put two and two together. So I, you know, when I told his, my, you know, my husband's parents, I just said in the way of just, you know, that my son has depression now. And I told the boys about their dad. So, you know, because I, I otherwise I think it would have just been too complicated. They're older now. They weren't going to understand. But when I put it in that context, they were like, OK, yeah, we get that. So, um, yeah, yeah. And they, they didn't they didn't go further into it. They never talked about it with the kids. It was just not their comfort level. And and I respect that, you know, like. They they are who they are and they did their best and you know, mm. Mm. I, I can't ask any more because I know, you know, I know the point when I wasn't ready to talk about it either. So, so true. Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. My. But then again, I bet you, you would have had fears galore. Um, how will they react? And that's the additional layer then that that you're already feeling guilty and 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 shame to put them through it again. Now they have yeah. to relive it again and and yeah. and whatever your brain yeah. tells you. Yeah. So oh, oh, you had I mean for me it was, you know, telling my kids was the hardest thing. Once mm. once I got over that, it was like I don't care who else knows. You know, that was the interesting thing that it, I feel that telling my kids just set me free. That was those were the relationships I cared the most about. I'm sure there would have been a lot of fears in yourself how other people would react. Oh, was yeah. there was there any one reaction where people were negative or spoke negative about your husband? No. So interestingly, um, after after I told my boys and and you know I, I as I mentioned I was already coaching at the time and I was working with a business coach, and you know came to the realization that this is the work that I need to be doing um, you know working with mm. with family members like myself who are going through this working with people through loss, and. So I said to my kids, because, you know, we were very much in conversation, like a lot of conversations over that time. And I said, you know, I think I think these are the people that I need to be helping. Like, I don't want other people to go through what I went through. And I said, you know, I need I need to get this out there. What's the best way to let everybody know at once? Well, put it on Facebook. <laughs> Was that what the kids said? 
I don't know if it was me or if it was them, but it was kind of like, okay, I need to create a post on Facebook. And, you know, as I mentioned, my husband and I had grown up together. So, you know, Facebook wasn't around when he passed away. It came out a few months later, but in over these 10, 11 years, I now had hundreds of people that I grew up with as my Facebook friends that all thought he died in an accident. And it was like, okay, you know what, better to hear it from the horse's mouth. Mm. There's no way I'm going to call all these people <laughs> and tell them, hey, by the way. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I came up with, with a post. My older son at the time had just started university. He was taking communications. He's an excellent writer. I was like, can you help? Can you edit this for me? Can you tell me if it looks good? He gave me, you know, his critique on it. So it was very much a team effort. Beautiful. And then, the, yeah, yeah, the post was done. And then my boys are like, okay, post it now. And I was like, oh no, I'm not ready. <laughs> I needed another week, which ended up turning out to be um, World Mental Health Day. And so I said, you know what, that's, that's the day I'm going to, to post yeah. it. And, yeah. and I did, and I was terrified. I was really like, you know, sitting there like, oh my God, I can't hit post. I did. And yeah, I was, I thought, you know, people are going to hate me. I'm going to be getting hate messages. Not one negative comment. I was, I was struck by how much love I was, um, I was given at the time, mm. um, you know, hundreds of messages of comments of phone calls throughout the entire day, um, oh. just showering me with love and saying, you know, you're so courageous for doing this. So yeah, all of, all of my fears of judgment were, were completely wrong too. Guys, listen to that. Repeat the last sentence, please. Honestly. I mean, repeat it. Yeah. This, <laughs> guys, yeah, don't. The fear, the, the fear of judgment. Guys, fear, really. No. Yeah. I Not one person. And that post had, um, I did it through my business page, so it tells you how many views. So it had, I had, I, I think about, I had over 4,000 views. It was shared, I think, 45 times. I was having people reach out to me because people who knew people who knew me were sharing it. And yeah, you know, not nothing negative. And if anybody didn't think well of it, I don't know. They didn't tell me. And that's so important, isn't it? To, to understand that we have got all these fears of being judged out there, of being, being, oh my God, what will people think of me? Guess what? First of all, your fears typically are completely unfounded because people realize that it takes huge amounts of strength to come out with the truth. And yeah. it's not so common out there. We are living in a society where masks are left, right, and center. I swear to God, I, there are women out there on the Facebook who only have got one side of the face. That's how they look. I'm sure if one day I see them proper and they have got a full face, I will probably think, who the hell are you? <laughs> because they only look this way, because yeah. that's the good side. And yeah. that's the mask that we want people mm -hmm. to see. And it is so brutal. So if you yeah. actually suddenly come out and and be honest, 
you have no idea how refreshing that is, how, how beautifully open and how should I say that? When I came out and, and spoke out about my, my history as, as an alcoholic, suddenly so many people listened up and, and people who I thought would, would, you know, were normal people suddenly came to me and sort of said, you know, um, can we talk a bit about that? Because, you know, I'm, my wife just left me because I've been drinking too much. And yeah. I think, whoa, whoa, what? And again, they have been hiding. Everyone is yes. hiding it behind yes. their masks. And if you suddenly talk out of that, it is, it is you give yourself permission to grow and f be free. But you're yes. also living suddenly an example. Uh, you, yeah. you live your life by it. Other people will come out of the woodwork and will applaud you, which makes you feel good. There's nothing wrong with feeling good and may see you as, as, a, as a light uh, yeah. in the darkness. And you yeah. have no idea which storms they are going through, which darkness they are living in. Just don't forget that. So there is a chance yeah. of you not just helping yourself, but actually helping others. Yeah, that was my experience too when, you know, yes, I, I was bombarded with all that love, which was so overwhelming because, you know, I I had talked myself into thinking I was going to be hated. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and to what you were saying, like, you know, I, I say this to my clients, I'm like, fear is a liar. Just know that. Like, it Very lies good. every oh, time. <laughs> I like that. I like that. No, so true. So yeah. true. Yeah. And, and how many people were messaging me, calling me, Hey, can we go for coffee? I'd like to talk to you about something. So many people meet too. This is what I'm hiding. You know, it seems everybody's hiding something, you know, it may, it may not be what, what I'm hiding or I was hiding what you were hiding, but on different levels, we're all, you know, I think there's something that we're all carrying around that we're feeling some shame around and hearing somebody else be so open about it and unapologetic gives that permission, gives that freedom, helps us feel so connected to each other. And that was, you know, such a big piece for me too, because isolating myself for all these years. And then it was like, wow, I can let love in because there, there's nothing I'm hiding anymore. You know, this is me. <laughs> it's, you know, it's raw, it's real, it's messy, it's still messy. <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I embrace it. And so who wants to come for the ride? <laughs> I love it. And who doesn't, right? <laughs> sure. Crazy train is open. Come on board. Yeah, like everyone wants to be on the crazy train. <laughs> no, it is a good train. It's, it's, it's most of the time, it's a really train. great train. <laughs> and I you can't... know what? And, and on the days when it's not a great train, you've yeah. got all these great people around you ah, to, ah, to help you, to be there with you. Yeah. And right? So it's get... less bad. <laughs> so true, so true, so true. No, it is uh, be honest, be open and mm -hmm. and foster that. And I'm yeah. I'm I'm cherished because I can I can do that in my setting as a as a doctor in theater. There is an understanding in my theater that that people come to me and say, look, I've got a really shit 
day, I, X, Y, and Z has happened, and I will probably not be on my best behavior, or, you know, just watch out for me that I don't make any mistakes, etc. And it's so beautiful that yeah. people come up with this honesty, and yes. suddenly in a work environment, the, the, the level of extra trust that you build up because yes. you are open to each other is yeah. so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And imagine doing that actually in your family. Yeah. Can you imagine that you come home yeah. instead of growling at the children, shut up, Arr! but you actually say, look, guys, I've had some really horrible day. And yes, guys, it looks like an absolute bombsite in here. I actually want to scream my head off because I'm so frustrated and tired. Yeah. And so, guys, let me just can I have a hot shower and wash this day off me. And maybe yeah. you guys, can you just clean up the kitchen whilst I do that? And then we start the evening again together. Yeah. How about being doing that? It's so much more oh. forgiving. I mean, I know like, you know, when, when my son had his diagnosis and, and I should just say, because yes, he's, he's 18, but he's given me full permission to talk about it, <laughs> his, his experience in, in case anyone's wondering. I did ask him, I was like, you know, I think this will help people. Can I tell you? He's like a hundred percent. I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. So don't, you shouldn't either. Beautiful. So yeah, it was great. But, but we were able to have that conversation walking out of the doctor's office when he had the diagnosis. I said, okay, how would you like me to be with you now during this? How do you want conversations to happen? How should we navigate this? And he was so clear on, you know, I was able to ask him what he needed from me and his answer. And he was able to give me a clear answer. And he said, mom, treat me the day you did before I told you I wasn't feeling great. That's how I want us to be. And it was like, okay, thank you for that clarity. And I said, and you know, I'm going to screw it up probably a lot. <laughs> and so, you know, could you do me a favor and like, you know, don't growl at me too much, kind of, yeah. you know, just remind me kindly. And, and I said, you know, and I've learned also that, you know, when he's having, you know, a moment to, you know, and he's coming to talk to me, I now know, like, I will ask him, you know, what do you need from me? Do you want to just vent or do you need help with something? You know, and but it's so much clarity. <laughs> There's it's no the guessing. I know. How beautiful is that? That's what is happening now between my wife and me from a worst cat and mouse. I mean, Tom and Jerry were nothing, honestly. It was <laughs> Third World War. Arr, because our language was not not fitting she i didn't meet her needs and her needs well my needs were not met by her and and it was crazy and now that we actually talk about it it's the most beautiful thing and i can't remember the last row that my wife and i had uh we had little 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 snippets of something that we then one of us actually just stepped back and had the strength to say hang on What's going on here? Um, and it had bugger all to do with with us rowing. Right. One of us, one of us was tired. One of us was hungry. The other one was <laughs> was frustrated and overwhelmed. And suddenly, the two of us were just you know just right to yeah. come on, bring it on, bring the fight right. on. Right. And then, luckily, we just stepped back because we recognized what is yeah. happening there. Yeah. And how beautiful is that? Eh? Yeah, it's it's yeah. such a gift to be able to communicate in that that open and honest way. The problem, of course, is we two 
are preaching to the converted here, to, to the two of us. So we do know what to do. Yes. Uh, the, the, the problem is the, all the other guys who are actually listening to this podcast and watching this YouTube video, they try to figure out how the hell. Now, yeah. guys, there are, there are some ways, like, for example, you know, I've, I need to do a bit of advertisement here. Um, yes. I've, I've written my, my steps to sobriety, and half of the book is all about dealing with the challenges and is dealing with with life uh, and whilst this is a book about alcohol the first half the other half is about life and about dealing with that so this might be one little thing to actually start looking at what what you know how how did my recovery journey work etc but mm -hmm. there's so much you can learn from a book lots but there's only so much <laughs> you can learn from a book uh, where you actually have to say well hang on Yes, Stefan, these are your experiences. And thank you so much for the dozens of action plans in there. But this is still my life and I have to work with someone. And that is then where Michelle and other people come in. So, yeah. Michelle, if, if people have, have had their own journey with grief and loss and uh, the similar problems as you yeah. have experienced, yeah. how can they learn from you? How can they get hold of you? Yeah. Um, thank you for asking. So yes, I, I work with people around grief and loss. I also support family members of people with severe mental illness, um, just in, in navigating how to take care of themselves because our self-care is so important when we are caring for for someone who is unhealthy um, and and what I call lovingly detach of just realizing because so often we all get on that mental health roller coaster <laughs> and we're all on it together and we don't need to be and so it's about just saying okay you know this is what my family members going through I'm going to take care of me so that I'm at my best mm. and and I also work with people who have mild anxiety, mild depression, who, you know, are getting treatment from other people or, or have, you know, other professionals or have, but just in moving forward and empowering them, giving them tools. I work a lot with mindfulness and meditation of different tools of, you know, the mind-body connection, recognizing, um, you know, certain signs of like, oh, I'm noticing, like for me, I get very tired all the time when my depression is coming on. So I notice like, hmm, okay. I'm going to pay attention to that and see, see what's brewing, you know, and again, without judgment, which is the mindfulness piece. Uh, so, so just ways to move forward, ways to navigate, to feel like we, we are, you know, it, it, we're empowered. We are, are leading our own lives. Uh, so best way to get a hold of me would be on my, through my website, which is michelleanhangcoaching.com. Uh, um, I'm also on pretty much every social media outlet <laughs> there is, um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, what, am I missing any? But all, all Michelle Anhang coaching, you can find me that way. Brilliant. Brilliant. See, for me, it's the anger. Um, for mm. you, it's the, the fatigue. No, for me, it's angry when uh. I start being quite happy to rip someone's head off and throw down. Yeah. Uh. No, stop, stop, stop. What's going on here? Um, right. <laughs> and most of the time is that I have yeah. not looked after myself. Right. From now on then, it is about of uh, not so nice feelings. 
and times. Yeah. It could be depression. However you label it, there might be just days when you are not yourself. Yeah. And you just have to recognize when that is and deal with it. Put the safety systems in place that, that you right. don't fuck up basically when yes. you're at work at, yeah. at, etc and uh, and then listen to your body and listen yeah. what it needs yeah and if it needs netflix for a weekend and not getting out of the jimmy jams uh, but rather actually being there then that's what it is sorry Do guys it. yeah that's right <laughs> yes. exactly right whatever yes. whatever you need within yes. reasons within the reasons yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that's so, it's it's self-care yeah so true Oh, Michelle, it was so beautiful to talk to you. It was so refreshingly honest how we talked about a very difficult, difficult problem. And as I mentioned initially, guys out there, if if something has triggered you in this interview, if you're not feeling all right, or you've, you've developed right now the insight that you actually do need help, then please, 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 Pick up that phone and and talk to someone. If you're religious and and you know it is church day tomorrow, go to church. But don't just stay there and 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 do what you normally do. But actually yeah. speak to someone, some yeah. some maybe an elder or the priest or whoever is there, the pastor. Yeah. Um, find a solution. There yeah. are many 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 people out there who are willing to listen to you. They want to listen to you because like it or not, they might actually love you. And you just haven't figured out how to love yourself at the moment. Yeah. And and so so don't go for a temporary or uh, permanent solution for a temporary problem, mm -hmm. so yeah. to speak. It is it is just just pick up that phone. Yeah. And it's so important what you were saying about you know, remembering how many people love us because when we're feeling down we often forget how loved we are and so yeah michelle thank you so much for coming on to the show i, I thank I you for had having a really me. really really good talk with you i loved that thank you thank you so thank much you. and you guys out there look after yourself bye <laughs> bye Dream on, dream on.